Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacy Francis will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacy Francis. So welcome everyone to Financially Ever After. Today we have Rachel Fishman Green, who's an attorney who has practiced as a divorce and family mediator since 1995. She's helped thousands of divorcing and separating couples resolve conflicts concerning all aspects of separation in their divorce from fair distribution of pension assets to how to bring a new girlfriend or boyfriend into children's lives. I love ideas about that because that's one of the biggest complaints I know I hear. Um, she's also head of a very important um, cause and she's head of the domestic violence task force and you've done this now for 10 years you're a frequent presenter on ethics and domestic violence at conferences and seminars um, given by the new york state council on divorce mediation as well as the family and divorce mediation council of, of greater new york um, I love this fact. Uh, you have a fun fact and that you are an avid yogi and that you've been a beekeeper, a beekeeper since 2012, that you have three hives on your roof. Um, and also, we just talked a little bit before we went live, um, you're going to be an empty nester. You have both a college grad as well as a high school grad as well. So it's uh, somewhat of a new beginning for you right now. So. Yeah. Well, the good news is you still have your amazing bees, and I'm sure right. they're actually a lot of work. Is that right? I mean, it can be, right? It can be. There's there's some work. I mean, I, I have to do inspections, you know, maybe once a week, sometimes every other week. I actually got stung this morning. I don't know if you can see that my finger is a little bit swollen because I went up to check them. Um, but they don't, I mean, once you get them set up, they don't require that much work. I'm, I'm definitely going to be in the market for hobbies to fill my time now that exactly. my kids are gone. I don't have to make dinner every night. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. Um, you know, I'd love to hear from you, you know, right now, any exciting projects or, or things that you're working on that you want to you wanna talk about or make sure that we, we focus on today? My my work has been very exciting lately. I feel like I'm having this kind of new enthusiasm for it. Um, I've been pretty busy, and um, and I mean one of the things that I you know I feel very honored to be a divorce mediator really because people let me into their lives and talk about these intimate things that they care so deeply about, and I feel honored to be able to mm -hmm. you know help guide them through difficult times um but just as an example like the work is endlessly interesting because every family is different mm -hmm. and um some of the things i've been working on i'm working with an unmarried couple on um parenting they have a you know one and a half year old and they have 
very poor communication and dispute resolution skills. So I feel like I'm coaching them and kind of teaching them how to negotiate and how to discuss what they each need, you know, and they have this way of saying, no, I can't do that. Absolutely not. You know, and, and the fight can just escalate, but mm -hmm. then neither of them says what they do want. You know, they're mm -hmm. not able to focus on solutions. They're just, lost in their own anger so it's been a very satisfying mm -hmm. case to work on because if I can just get them focused on solutions suddenly the conflict just vanishes yeah. um, and, and I love how you talk about communication um, being a skill that's really important obviously for a happy marriage but also for a happy divorce, although I mean, I don't know if you ever really have happy divorces, but um, you know, do you see a lot of the couples coming to you lacking in the communication skill area? Um, many of the couples that I work with are able to communicate, and that's one of the reasons they're choosing mediation is to mm -hmm. have the opportunity yeah, that makes sense to communicate. I mean, it really, it really does vary, and some of the more high conflict couples just don't hear each other. I mean, one of the basic tools of mediation is to repeat. It seems like so obvious, but just repeat what one spouse says, because when a marriage has had a lot of conflict for a while, yeah. the spouses tend to just tune each other out, you know, so the husband might say something and the wife is on the other side of the room rolling her eyes and, yeah. and not listening. So then when I say, okay, so I just want to make sure I'm understanding where you're coming from. Here's what I just heard. The wife listens to me, but didn't listen to him. And, you know, and then and then suddenly when the idea seems to come from me, it's more palatable yeah. than when it came from him. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and, you know, what brought you to this work? I, I love this question because um, everybody chooses their profession sometimes even if it's happenstance, often there's something that they bring to it um, of, of why they chose this work. And I'd also love to just hear your money story. You you deal with money on a daily basis. Yeah, I do. Right? And and so what is your story? Um, <clears throat> and what does that, you know, your dealings with money um, look like for you? Um, well, I guess your first question, um, why I chose this work, I guess there's there are two reasons. One is that um, I didn't come from like a horribly high conflict household, but I definitely grew up where my parents fought and um, my father was a yeller and my mother would just sort of clam up and become very quiet when my father had a temper tantrum. Um, and I always felt like I wanted to protect my mother in some way. Um, I, I mean, I feel like I grew up without, you know, wanting, needing to develop my own good dispute mm -hmm. resolution mm -hmm. skills in my own marriage because I didn't see those modeled as clearly as I needed to as a child. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is I didn't get married till I was 36 and I had gone through a lot of breakups by then. And I remember I had one breakup where we stayed up all night talking and the guy really wanted me to know 
that, you know, the cliche, it's not you, it's me. It really, I mean, he really wanted me to like understand in my bones that it really wasn't me. It was him and that he wasn't ready for a commitment. And um, I, I mean, that was like the best breakup because I felt like there was this increased understanding of each other that we had after this long night. Um, and um, I, I ended up feeling like, you know what, there really is a right and a wrong way to break up. And I have this knowledge and maybe I can help other people who are breaking up to do it in a better way. Which so, also makes sense of why you went into mediation. Right. Do you find a lot of your clients um, get that resolution or do you, you know, it sounds like from that experience, you really walked away having a clear understanding of of why that breakup was happening. Um, I know some of the women that we we work with, they they don't know necessarily what went wrong. They're not able to pinpoint it, and after the process, they they don't have that that sense of mm. completion of I I now I understand right. I think that's hard. That is hard. I mean, in mediation, I'm mostly focused on, you know, putting together their the deal, the yeah, terms yeah. Of, of their breakup. And the couples really do have a lot of control over the mediation process. And, and so I let them, you know, to some extent, I'm leading them through with telling them what needs to be resolved. Yeah. But then they also... Um, all control the agenda because they come in with things they want to talk about. Yeah. Um, so sometimes someone will bring it up that they really need to have that closure. I mean, it seems to me more likely they would work with a therapist on yeah. that. And I do work with a number of yeah. people who work with a therapist on parenting. I mean, I have not, well, I actually did have one couple that didn't have kids, but that we're going to a couples therapist to try to get a better understanding of mm -hmm. what went wrong, which is, you know, smart because if they want to have a successful relationship in the future, if they don't do that therapeutic work, they're going to just go in and make the same mistakes again. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there also are many couples I work with where I never find out why they split up. They come in, they're, you know, all business and mediation and then it's done. Yeah. So, yeah, I've even worked with couples where they're so lovely and they respect each other so much that I'm at a loss of why they are breaking up. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Well, that always gets to me, too. Yeah. When I have couples who say, I really love you, you know, but we have to break up. And I go, why? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's sad. So you deal with money. I do. Every single day. And some people, you know, when you say you're a matrimonial, um, you know, mediator or a matrimonial attorney, um, that's not a connection that the typical lay person would make. Um, but, but you have to deal with money every single day. Are you, you know, did you grow up feeling comfortable with numbers? Did you have a good role model um, where, you know, you were involved in, in the finances and educated as you were growing up? Or was this something that you had to really get comfortable with on your own? I had very good role models about money. My parents actually started us, me and my siblings, on allowances when we were six. Oh, my gosh. And I got a quarter a week. Okay. 
Okay. And I remember I saw a tea set that was $6 in the toy store that I decided I wanted. And I saved up my quarters for however many weeks until I had that $6, um, 24 weeks, I guess. Um, and I remember just having very, you know, feeling very excited that mm -hmm. this money was mine. And I would periodically open my piggy bank and spill out all my coins and sort them by coin and make little piles of them. Like I felt like money was a fun yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and then when I was 12, I started getting a clothing allowance. Like I sat down with my mother and we kind of projected out how much would you spend on clothes a year? And then that was made weekly so that I had to, you know, if I needed a pair of shoes, I would have to save up a number of weeks until I had enough money to buy shoes or a winter coat or whatever it was. Um, and that worked well for me. Um, my sister did not have the same experience, actually. Like, even though she grew up in the same yeah. household, with her clothing allowance, she liked crazy shoes. I remember she bought hot pink platform shoes when we were in high school that cost $100 and then she, you know, needed underwear and didn't have money to buy it. But, you know, she's come out okay, too. She now mm -hmm. makes enough money to buy as many shoes as she wants. So Okay. <laughs> well, it's interesting, too, how, um, you know, the lessons you learn um, can also be dependent on yourself. Um, you know, that you you and your sister were cuckoo, did a very similar environment. And, right. You know, and really just came had out. different... Yeah. Yeah, experiences. Wow. It is funny. Um, um, I'd love to go back to mediation mm -hmm. um, to better understand, particularly for the, the, the women listening today, who's a good candidate for um, mediation? What couples are good candidates? What, what, what couples are not good candidates as well? Do you have some thoughts there? Yeah, I do. Um, so... The goal of mediation is that we put together an agreement that reflects two voices, that mm -hmm. reflects both parts of the couple that are splitting up. Um, so, media, um, so mediation does require that you, that both of them be willing to sit in the room together mm -hmm. and to listen to the other person even when they don't agree. And certainly there are people who can't sit in the room together. Um, mediation also requires that they be able to advocate for themselves in a certain way um, and say what they each need and want for the future. And, and that's because you can't necessarily advocate for them because you, my understanding um, is that you, you need to be a neutral. Um, in the in the process so you can't be standing there advocating for either one um, I would imagine that the other party that you're not advocating for might be worried that you're leaning towards and taking the story of her um, and not taking the story of, of him right absolutely that's one of the big challenges as the mediator because I have to be neutral and they yeah. both have to feel that I'm there for listening them, for to both of both them, of them. Mm -hmm. and if one of them starts to feel like I'm on the other's side the mediation goes south I mean yeah. I made some of those mistakes in my early years and I learned from them as yeah. soon as someone feels like I'm on the other person's side um, 
mediation is over. So, it, you know, there are there are certainly protections and and resources like they can go to consulting attorneys, and many um, people do do that, though it's their choice. Sometimes people come to mediation wanting to avoid adversarial attorneys altogether, and they are allowed to do that. Um, but if there's someone who is having trouble finding her voice in mm -hmm, the process, mm -hmm. um, or or is is less like I have a case where um, the low, you know, the wife is the lower earner, and she's just not a money person, and the husband actually works in finance, and he's totally a money person. So she yeah. is meeting with a consulting attorney to try to help her understand and evaluate offers that are on the table because she just she's not, you know, she for her origin money story probably is something about you know not learning about it yeah yeah and she just tunes out in a certain way so I think that's important to to make sure that you know our listeners know that in mediation um, you can have an advocate you know you, you're not going to go into mediation alone that if needed you can have an outside consulting attorney that right. um, can advocate for you and really empower you educate you of of what you're entitled to legally and and how is this going to impact you long term right too. absolutely and I mean there are times that people bring attorneys into mediation as mm -hmm. well that's an option if they mm -hmm. really are not I mean that's you know one of the things I'm monitoring as mm -hmm. a mediator is I'm kind of looking at the big picture yeah. and is this fair and workable I mean yeah. I want to put together something that's going to be workable for both of them down the road because otherwise it's they're going to be back you yeah. know, in my office, or they'll be leaving me lousy reviews online, yep. and you know, we want to avoid that. Yeah. Um, I guess just a couple of other things that are required for mediation is that it's it's best if neither of them is out for revenge, not out to destroy each other. Mm -hmm. Often, that is the motivation for going into the litigation process. I heard about a case that a friend of mine is working on where. Um, the wife said, I would rather give this money to you, my attorney, than give it to him. Wow. You know, she's that angry. So it's it wouldn't be that difficult to settle the case objectively, but she's just so angry that she doesn't care how, how many hundreds of thousands of dollars she spends in litigation. Um, and most of the time, both um, both people agree that the relationship is over that it's mm -hmm. ending so if you know I don't usually mediate whether the marriage will continue um, it takes two to maintain a long-term mm -hmm. committed relationship and when one person has decided definitively that it's over it's it's over um, and then the last thing which is very important is that both people have to be willing to completely freely disclose all assets and debts. We need to have full financial disclosure. And if either is not willing to do that, um, or if there's some question about it, then they should be in a different process where they have, you know, because in, in litigation, there's the subpoena power of the court to subpoena all assets directly from institutions, you know, get that Citibank credit card statements for the last five years directly from Citibank and mm -hmm. cut mm -hmm. out the middleman, the person who doesn't want to reveal those things. Um, I do find that usually spouses know whether they can 
trust each other. Yeah. Yeah. So they, that's, they, of all people, they <laughs> they know that. So that's, that's right. That's, so what I'm really hearing from you, you know, three additional things to really think about if mediation is right for you is um, number one, if if someone's out for all of revenge, guess what? Mediation is is not going to be the right right place. Um, also, if you know mediation is not the place to decide whether or not the marriage continues. That if there's one person who's out the door, mediation isn't going to be necessarily a, a place where um, you're going to be able to, to loop them back into the marriage. And finally, and I, I, I am so happy you brought this up, there has to be disclosure of all the assets. And um, there, I think, is a myth. There's a myth about mediation. And sometimes people will choose mediation because they don't want to disclose all the assets. And so I agree with you, um, Rachel, of knowing your spouse. Is this uh, a gentleman that you know is going to be above board? Which most are. Most are. It's very, right, you know. Most are. Or is it going to be, um, you know, that, um, you know, he's not been reporting all his income through the business and you know, all these things, all these red flags, then it's not going to be the right place for you if you're worried that there's not going to be 100% disclosure. That's correct. So I'm glad you, you bring that up. I mean, people do choose mediation sometimes because it is a private process and they are not declaring all of their cash income. Yeah. So that is one thing about mediation. It, you know, that's another reason that people choose it sometimes. Um, but between the spouses, there has to be disclosure. Yeah, so yeah. they both know that there's ca um, cash income. I remember I had a case where there was a freezer full of cash in the basement that they both freezer. went to. Yes. Um, this was a guy who ran some flea markets in Manhattan and had a lot of cash. Little, I, little did I know how lucrative those flea markets are. Interesting. And they both during the marriage, yeah. you know, knew. Down I mean, freezer. right? That was that was there. Next that was to the where steak they for dinner, they would get a you know hundred dollar bill. No, the freezer wasn't plugged in. I think. Oh. and they maybe they had another freezer that had oh the steaks for dinner. <laughs> wow. Um, but but then I mean, the funny thing with that case was that um, once they started coming to mediation, she went down a few weeks later and found the freezer empty. So, um, I mean, in that case, she she actually said, um, you know, they came up with a settlement offer and she said, um, you know, I would probably get a few hundred thousand more if I fight you in court, but I know what a fighter you are and you know what, it's worth it to me. It's the price of freedom to get this done right now, so I will accept your offer. And... Um, that you know, I thought that was an interesting case, yeah. which I had no trouble with it because she had the information. She mm -hmm. knew. She knew what she was she saying. Knew, too. Yep, she knew what he earned, how much was cash, how much she you know could estimate how much the marital assets were, mm -hmm. and they had a house, and they were going to sell the house, so she was going to get half of that plus some cash. And she said, "This is I'll be fine." Yeah, and she also had a new. Um, boyfriend okay then that so, would be the other reason why she wants yep, to keep on moving she said on. you know what this is going to be enough money for me to live on and i want it i want to start my new life i don't want to wait three mm -hmm. years and fight yeah. you for three yeah. years so so as long as there was disclosure i was yeah. okay with that yeah. i mean in mediation people do have the option of 
coming up with settlements which are different than what would happen in court. Yeah, it, it sounds like there's a lot of um, flexibility. You just talked about three things that, you know, where a case would not necessarily be a good fit for mediation. You also have a specialty in domestic violence. Are you able to mediate cases when one of the spouses has been a victim of domestic violence? I know this is a this is a tough one. It's a controversial topic in it the is. mediation field. And, and People debate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm going to take the line of possibly, possibly, but that I would imagine there would have to be a, a lot of guardrails to make sure that that spouse feels safe, is heard, and, and has an advocate. Yes. So now tell me what your, your thoughts are, because mediation is so powerful and so positive. Um, I worry if we just say if it's domestic violence, it cannot be in mediation. Um, but what are your thoughts? There actually have been some domestic violence survivors who have wanted to mediate, and mm -hmm. that's part of how these protections have been put in place, because the domestic violence survivors have said, you're abusing me further by saying, no, your office door is closed to me. Um, and they have felt that it, you know, and, and it's generally believed by experts who work with domestic violence families um, that the the survivor is the person who's best at keeping herself safe. She understands the abuser, has been in a long-term relationship with him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use him and her as the abuser, although, because most of the time, yeah. that's how it, it falls. But I actually have a case right now that I'm working with where the, the um, father is the survivor of the abuse. Um, so it can go the other way. And then, of course, with gay couples, there's yeah. domestic violence sometimes as well. So I just want to put that disclaimer in. Yeah. Um, but some domestic violence survivors have said that they feel that a private, calm discussion would not stir the pot or poke the beast. That a process in court, which is full of blame and confrontation, and then the power struggles with the judge and the guards who will challenge mm -hmm. the abusers, mm -hmm. will more likely make... Um, the the abuser angry and likely to explode afterwards. So for those reasons, they want to mediate. So the biggest problem with um, families that have experienced intimate partner violence is that is is the question going back to you know the basic requirements for mediation. Are there two voices in the room? If you feel afraid that if you say what you really want, you're going to get punched later. Can you speak freely? Yeah. So one must, you know, tread very carefully mm -hmm. um, and put protections in place to be able to mediate. So some of the requirements that I, I would say mm -hmm. <laughs> for continuing with the mediation is that the abuser has to admit that they were violent and pledge not to touch the other person again and express some remorse for the violence. Mm -hmm. Now, there are different kinds of violence, and sometimes there's been, it's not a pattern of violence, there's been one incident that just arose around the separation. So those couples 
tend to be able to mediate and the likelihood of a recurrence of, you know, there's tremendous remorse. They're both kind of freaked out that this happened and it's unlikely to ever happen again. It was just around all of the turmoil and pain and, and emotional people and mm-hmm, yeah. emotional people. That's right. Of the separation of a long relationship that just caused one person to just crack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then having review attorneys can be very important mm-hmm. so that the review attorney could be the advocate and maybe the review attorney could be the person who called me and said, um, we can't continue with mediation if it's no longer appropriate. Um, with families where there's been violence, it's more likely that I would mediate separately, have shuttle diplomacy, meet separately with each um, of the participants on different days. Um, so let's talk about that again, shuttle diplomacy, because that's a term that I think a lot of the women listening may not be familiar right. with. Tell me a little bit more about what that is and how that works. That's like um, the two members of the couple are in different places and I talk separately and privately with each of them. Mm-hmm. I can't hold secret information. You yeah. know, if the if the husband says, oh, my girlfriend is pregnant, I can't, uh, you know, or I have, I have an offshore account that I never told her about. <laughs> I can't be the keeper of secrets. Like yeah. all the information yeah. still has to be disclosed. But it's more like um, having a chance to explore what is it that you need? What are your visions for the future? What do you think would work for the children's schedule? Mm-hmm. Um, let's work on your budget and figure out how much you need per month to live yeah. and how much you you know can afford to pay, how much you want to receive. Um, that kind of discussion. So and rather than having taking that information together, to the other spouse. Exactly. And being able to be the deliverer. Right. And then say, you know, great, we have these areas where you're in agreement, agreement. you know, and so the agreement starts, the terms of the agreement start to fall into place. Um, If the couple is going to uh, mediate together, I would schedule the appointment so that the um, victim arrives 10 minutes after the abuser and leaves 10 minutes before the abuser. So there's not a risk of him following her out and, you know, in the heat of anger from the um, mediation session. And would you recommend that women where there's been a pattern of abuse, not just a, a one-time heated argument, but a pattern of abuse, have a separate living situation and not before, before they start mediating. the mediation process? I would process. recommend that, yeah. that they already yeah. be separated, yes. I mean, the other thing is that it's really the power and control dynamics that are the problem for a mediation process. So there are many couples that have not experienced violence, but have had kind of power and control issues where one spouse is trying to control the other. And that would render them inappropriate for mediation because we need to have two people who are speaking freely and, you know, have enough autonomy and feel safe in their own, you know, skin. Um, You know, you also talk about domestic violence. We've been talking about the physical, but the power and autonomy comes in other forms. I imagine with, with emotional abuse, financial abuse. And so it's, it's not always that, you know, seeing the bruises, there's right. internal bruises that right. can make it very difficult to have mediation work. Right. Like I, I had a case where um, the husband 
literally made 10 times as much as the wife. The husband made 250,000 a year and then the wife worked as a school aide and made 25,000 a year and the husband was completely in control of the money and then his proposal for the settlement was um, okay I want her to go back to school and get a master's degree and if she attends school for um, you know, this many months, depending on her grades, huh. I'll give her this depending much. On her grade, right? Yep, I'll give her this much spousal support, and then when she finishes her degree, I'll give her this much. Doesn't you know? And it reminded me almost of like a parent. Yeah, I, I remember incentivized like reward a that, child. I remember Catholic school. Yeah, I would get you know five dollars, which was big big money for every A. And a B was $3, a C, I got nothing. Um, so I have to say, I got straight A's and I made a ton of money. Um, but that, right? That's that's completely inappropriate. But it's are completely you inappropriate and it goes back, for spouses who are yeah, both adults. And it goes back to that, I imagine that can control. I, right. I imagine that there's there was a lot of control in their marriage and this is just an extension of that. That's right. Right? So, I mean, that case ended up not settling mediation I ended up yeah. sending them to attorneys because um, the wife just you know she had been used to it for so long it's like she was beaten down and she just didn't have enough wherewithal to advocate for herself and they yeah. ended up finishing the collaborative divorce process interesting interesting that is a that's a that's not what I thought you would have upset I would have expected litigation but collaborative I I can see can make sense because you have a, right. you have a lawyer in that meeting with you that's right yeah so I collaborative that worked right collaborative is an excellent process yeah. where there's some power and control issues yeah. or or there's been violence because the um, victim has a chance to talk separately yeah. with the attorney the attorneys have a chance to talk separately so that everyone is aware of the situation yeah. um, and then you have your attorney sitting next to you at the table and I mean I have a collaborative case where there was an incident of violence and I have like a signal with the wife who is my client that you know if she's ever in a meeting and she's just feeling like overwhelmed she just um, you know motions to me and I say you know what let's take a break and then she and I will go into the next room and talk privately um, so I can hear what her concerns are that she's having trouble articulating in the in yeah. the four-way meeting so collaborative has a lot of the protections that that I have to work very hard to put into place in mediation yeah right yeah. I can see that um, but you know mediation does tend to be cheaper and quicker mm -hmm. so yeah. sometimes couples can't afford yes. a collaborative process which can bring in many professionals and it is more, more expensive. expensive yeah yeah um, I'd love to hear from you what are some of the mistakes you see women make as they're going through the divorce process I, I guess the two um, biggest mistakes that I see and maybe these are somewhat you know my pet peeves um, are are um, the myth to me it's a myth that it's better to be a stay-at-home mom um, I see many women who are just screwed by having bought into that myth and yeah. you know and the um, spousal support 
um, statute was changed a few years ago mm-hmm. here in New York, which you probably are aware of, and it's it's much the spouse support that the new formula yields is much lower than I think what people yeah, were getting in the, past. in the yeah. past, right? So it's even harder, um, and I see women really hurt by having to re-enter the workplace after you know 10 or 15 years off. I had a woman who came in the other day. She was just you know lovely highly educated you know brilliant you know beautiful competent person but she's been out of the workforce for 15 years and uh, her whole field has been um com- you know is is computerized is has now a, a level of technical expertise that she just doesn't have and she told me a story about someone who hired her for you know one job and she had to enter all the inventory on an ipad and and use excel and she just couldn't handle it at all she just wanted to write it down on a you know legal pad and mm-hmm. um and so she was not hired by this company and so she needs so much training and of course if the couple doesn't split up and the wife stayed at home with the kids you know that'll probably be fine um but i see that women who work part-time while their kids were little mm-hmm. are just in so much of a stronger position um, when they try to re-enter the workforce. And, and women who really take years off, I think, never recover. Yeah, They hard. never get back to that same earning, earning capacity. Um, and I guess the other thing that I see is... Um, is, is people who have sort of a, you know, head in the sand attitude toward finances and let the spouse take care of all the finances and just have no idea what assets they have. They don't pay the bills. They don't know what, what things are. And I would really urge everybody to take an active role. I mean, when your spouse hands you the tax return, you can take a half an hour to just skim through it instead yeah. of just here sign Fine. here sign here and hand it back to them and then and then you know they come to my office for consultation and I say how much does your husband earn and and the wife has no idea um, now I I will admit that I handle all the finances in my house and my husband is the one who just I hand him the tax return and say sign here honey and he does and he doesn't read it um, I mean I do have spreadsheets of our assets and debts and I mm-hmm. share them with him periodically I hope he reads them. Yeah. Um, and then also I was talking to a friend of mine about coming on to this podcast and she admitted to me that she has like a huge amount of anxiety over the finances and her you know and she's a competent very successful career person um, but she just has like this anxiety she said she yeah. just he starts to talk to her about finances and she can last about five minutes and then she starts to hyperventilate and I I was just fascinated by that, and, and I would encourage her to try to get to the bottom of it and break yeah. through. So, you know, one never knows what are people's blocks about that. But I guess those are the two biggest mistakes that I see. And then my final pet peeve is um, credit card debt, because it's just, it's evil. Yeah. And, and the you know, the compounded high interest that 
gets added to the debt makes it really difficult, you know, nearly impossible to get out from under it once that starts building. So if there's one thing that I could impart to my children, it's learning to live within their means. You know, we've had women come to us um, with some of them with credit card debt, um, but said, you know, he's the one that ran up the credit cards. Mm. But the problem is, is that it's during the marriage. And unless it's on gambling, gambling, girlfriends, girlfriends, prostitutes, things like that. um, It's marital debt. Right. And so they, I, I feel awful because they come out of the meeting saying, but I didn't spend this. He did. But especially according to the credit cards, they don't care if you're even getting divorced and in the decree it says that he's going to take the credit card debt. If you're still on that card right. and he doesn't pay it, you betcha Visa is going to come after you. It doesn't matter what the divorce documents say. And there's That's just, true. I, I, feel, I feel like credit card debt is pure evil. It is yeah. evil and it is pure evil. And the I minimum agree. payments that they put down that are piddlings, it's to keep you in debt. Right. It's to keep you in debt. And yeah, don't get me started. I, right. Yeah. I, I have I, the same pet peeve. <laughs> yeah. And, but, but another thing a lot of women don't realize is that they're on a card. So they're the co-signer. Uh, their husband might be the card holder. Right. And they find themselves in a situation where they have very little credit history mm. because they've always been a co-signer, a co-signer instead of the, the and, named and person exactly so for it, let's right? build up that credit right. and get yourself your own card and start to yeah. use that pay it off every month um yeah they're they're yeah, no, I, we could talk for another hour about that. Um, I mean, this is yeah. another, you know, another area where I would just say you should see, you know, when the credit card statements come in the mail, Yeah, you should both have the right to open them so that you can see what's yeah. going on. Yeah, and it's interesting, the amount of um, hidden, hidden financial behavior in marriages, it's it's a much higher percentage than a lot of people realize as far as hiding purchases, hiding debt, and it, it can destroy a marriage. Yeah, um, it really can because it's a it, it shows that there's a lack of um, trust. Right, a lack of trust. Well, this is like it's an it, you know it's a controversial issue because I've I've heard people say. Um, I want to have a separate credit card because I don't want to feel monitored. I don't want to feel yeah. like my spouse is like my parent saying, yeah. you can spend this, you can't spend this. Why did you spend so much on that lunch? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and so I've certainly, I've heard people who say my marriage is a happy marriage because we both have a zone of privacy mm-hmm. and I can go off and, and splurge on little things or get a massage um, and my spouse doesn't have to know about it. And I, I mean, in my marriage, we we both have access to everything. But again, I guess I need that access because I'm the one who opens the credit card bills every month. Yeah. Um, and my husband doesn't, though he certainly could. Um, so I realize that I need that information. But I guess I would urge everyone to at least know what the balances are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and. You know, I think it's probably a good thing for people to talk about, like, um, 
at the beginning of their marriage is, you know, what are your thoughts about debt and credit card debt? Yeah. And if if you have a spouse who wants to have a certain zone of privacy, I think that could be fine. Mm-hmm. But you need you need to know the bottom line and and exactly. not be blindsided that the, that the by balances it. maybe a thousand dollars, not hundred thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So we are wrapping up. I cannot believe how <laughs> how quickly we've gone through this. Any other pieces you want to you know make sure that you. Um, that you impart to us and also any words of wisdom that, that you might have because I know you've had you have so much experience in um, this area. I guess I just want to throw out that there are a couple of other challenges to the mediation process like if you have one spouse who's who's mentally ill um, I have a couple that I'm working with where the husband is a hoarder and is you know just very emotionally fragile and is kind of blocking the divorce Mm -hmm. Um, because of that and then the other thing I guess we talked about the disclosure of assets so those are the other two things Um, and um, I mean mediation does work really well you know for many many couples even though it's not for everyone it does usually um, save money it increases communication um, often people are able to heal the rift yeah. that caused the divorce in mediation and and just feel like there's some closure and then they can start working on figuring out what's our new relationship to each other as co-parents but yeah. not as lovers moving forward in the future. Yeah. And that certainly is my hope for the couples that come to my office. Well, they are lucky to meet with you. And um, I would love for you to share your website, um, any information for the women listening that might want to learn a little bit more about you and, and your practice. Sure. Um, my website is mediate2resolution.com. And that's 2 T O. Yep. It, it's either T-O or the number two. Oh, you have both. <laughs> I have both so names, mediate2resolution.com. Okay. Um, and I do work as a mediator and as a collaborative um, attorney, so I nice. can certainly talk to people about both of those processes, but I don't do litigation. Okay, great. Well, thank you for your time, Rachel. It's great thank to you, have you Stacey. here. Thank you, It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. And thank you for uh, our Financially Ever After listeners. Um, we are growing by leaps and bounds. So please do keep on sharing this podcast. We want to really unearth all the information that you need to know uh, if you're thinking about or going through divorce to make sure that you have the life that you really, truly, truly deserve. And I also want to share with you an offer if it's helpful. Um, And that would be to give you a second opinion. Um, 80% of individuals uh, say that a second opinion about their finances and their investment portfolio would be helpful. Uh, Wall Street Journal actually did an interesting uh, interesting study that that found that information. And so if that's something that would be helpful for you, you'd like a, a free second opinion about how you're invested, the mixture between stocks and bonds, Um, do you have enough in your emergency fund, how much should you have in retirement versus non-retirement, bless there are so many questions Um, and we'll walk through all of them. So if that's helpful, please reach out, uh, Stacy Francis and that's S-T-A-C-Y at francisfinancial.com, that's my website or my email and the website is pretty easy, um, www.francisfinancial.com. Thank you again for being here, Rachel, and thank you so much for our listeners. Thank you, Stacey.